Kitchen secured. Trap free, thank God, secured. Thank you very much for downloading the Trap One podcast. My name is Mark McManus. Today I'm delighted to welcome Chris McEwen back to the podcast. Hi, Chris. Hi, Mark. Thank you for having me again. Fourth time, I think. That's it. Uh, so, uh, if anyone's been listening to the podcast a couple of episodes ago, we had the final game confidential, which was the, the making of the first episode of the final game, which is finally released. Everyone can hear it now. I'll put a link in the show notes to that if you haven't already heard it. Uh, congratulations on that. It's It's been Thank a big you. success. Uh, a lot of positive reviews. And yes. uh, everyone that's heard it has really enjoyed it. Yes, very positive reviews as it stands. And uh, about 1,560, so 1,560 views on YouTube. And it's... Um, and I'm very pleased about that because it's um, for for being an independent production and such. Anyone that can get the, the material out there on YouTube on a platform and get some views, that's wonderful. Uh, but that but to get in a few days an independent platform that's coming out of nowhere and first thing, 1,500 views. I think in, in about two weeks, it's almost three weeks now, two and a half weeks or so. I think it's very gratifying, very um, very humbling. So I'm very grateful to anyone who's listened, and I hope you continue to listen. It's a wonderful. It's been a wonderful joy to see the the, the positive reaction, the, all the reaction, the comments. There are about 40 comments. There are positive comments on the YouTube page, and there are other. There, it's on other platforms too, Stitcher and Podcast.com and iTunes. I don't know what the counts are there, but uh, I only know specifically. It's easy to see on YouTube, but. It's a very, very, very positive response. I've been on a couple other podcasts. They one one gentleman was saying an Irish gentleman. Uh, named, I think it's the Theories. I think it is. I might be mixing it up, but he was he was he was absolutely gushing about it, saying this is one of the best uh, audio independent audio ventures I've ever heard. Please listen to it. And I I will say this: part two will not disappoint. You'll make your first debut, Mark. Yes. <laughs> That's the Prime Minister Jeremy Thorpe, so I'm looking forward to hearing how you... I've heard you how you sound. You sound... Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to that one as well. Mm-hmm. Do you know when that one's going to be out? Yes, um, Gareth um, is working on it right now. We, we're aiming for the end of the year. I, I don't think it's too personally that he, he's um, just had a little uh, cold or something or whatever it was. Um, mm-hmm. has minor, um, Nothing major, private, just a minor illness. So slow him down a couple days. But... Um, Maybe a half a week or something, but we're planning, hoping for the end, shooting for the end of this, um, of the month. I would say to keep and keep, you know, consistent with uh, episode one. We're shooting for a September first release date. Fantastic. And to project for the rest of the year, you know, we hope to do that for the rest of the year. Now that leaves, by that logic, we would have part five done by December first. Um, Gareth is, it works in in Cyprus uh, as a singer, and he's an excellent singer and a performer. Uh, Gareth Severn, or Studio Seven, are, are um, uh, the uh, sound designer. His work is, is very is very good. But it's, it's seasonal work, and right now the tourists are there. Um, mm. But once the tourist uh, time ends around maybe September or something, he'll have a little more time. So we're hoping to, despite that once a month idea, maybe get we're, we're aiming for all seven parts to be out by the end of the year. So you would have like. Once a month, we'd have when we started, we'd have part six out by the first of January, let's say, or maybe December thirty first. We hope to be an episode yeah. ahead, so we hope to have all seven parts done by the end of the year. But we may be only up to about part six, but hopefully, end of the year. But certainly, part two, we're really shooting for September first. Fantastic. Uh, so yeah, keep an eye on, on my Twitter feed certainly for for the future installments of that. Yes. Uh, and in the meantime, you started working on your next project, which is um, another celebration of centenary of a key Doctor Who actor. Yes. Um, I will briefly say that uh, Gareth, uh, on his side, has, has also published um, 
uh, released the first part of a story called Rebirth, which is a 10th Dr. Donna audio. Excellent sounding, wonderful. We're, we're trying to do bo- cover both classic and new who. My stories have been more on the classic side. He's doing more on the new who side, but we hope to do crossovers. Because he has a fourth Doctor story that he's um, got in the works. He's working on a ninth Doctor story as well. Um, but my my next uh, little project, we have a couple in, in, in line, but I'll and I can mention the others, but I'll mention this one in detail while, while you're here. It's called The Misshapen Planet. And it is a centenary um, celebration of the actor Peter Butterworth, the original, um, well, the only, at least in the, co- the, the television series, the original monk actor, the original Time Lord, uh, uh, not, he's not necessarily a villain, but the original Time Lord, renegade Time Lord, other than the Doctor in Doctor Who from the 1960s. That's fantastic. Yeah, so he's uh, made two very memorable appearances in the TV show, in the Time Meddler and, and the Daleks' Master Plan, um, and obviously at the the end of the, the his final episode, of the Dalek Master Plan, he he's left stranded by the Doctor, promising revenge, um, but unfortunately was uh, they were never able to follow it up in the TV no, show. No, they weren't. They leave it open. I I can. I'm glad you mentioned that episode because um, my first. I can tell you my my little brief history of how I came to know about the monk. I um, was one. You know, a few years ago, I was catching up on. I've watched. I've already gone through how I watched, Doc, watched Doctor Who, but the one one era of Doctor Who really that I still even now haven't watched too much is the Hartnell era, the Hartnell episodes. I've watched all of Trout, Patrick Troughton's available episodes, and I've even watched the animated things like the Power of the Daleks and the Mockerter, and I'll watch the faceless ones and such. Um, so I'm very au fait, I think you could call it, very up to date on the on the Troughton years, um, even with many episodes missing, the majority episodes missing. I'm, and that means as soon as they were released, I watched the Web of Fear and the Enemy of the World. Not in that order, but I did. Oh, that was yeah. that was that was wonderful. I love the Brigadier, and that was wonderful to see him in, as Colonel Ethridge Stewart. But, um, but I'm not terribly up to date with the with the nitty gritty, meaning the watching the episodes and knowing I, uh, everything about the Hartnell years. I could tell you all his stories and generally what happened, and, and even connections from what, reading books and such. But one of the episodes that I saw, one of the first Hartnell episodes I ever saw, was um, the Dalek Master Plan episode ten. Um, for the listeners who might not know, the Peter Butterworth first appeared as the monk um, in um, in the summer of ni- uh, or maybe late spring of 1965 in the closing story of the second year, second series of Doctor Who, um, in a story called The Time Mother, like you mentioned. It's a four-part story written by um, uh, Dennis Spooner and uh, directed by Douglas Camfield, one of Douglas Camfield's earliest, um, not his very first, but... Uh, one of his earliest uh, directorial stories. He'd done the Crusade and stuff before then, but still, it was so he was a, an accomplished director, a very good director, and it looks wonderful. Uh, and the basic story there, of course, is the um, the I found this out later, but I'll backtrack to where I am. But the point is the the, the monk, um, the, the Doctor and, and Company, which would be the debut story fully of Stephen Taylor and uh, Vicky uh, Pallister. Vicky Pallister, not her debut, but Stephen had just appeared, made a cameo in the last episode of the previous story, The Chase. Ian and Barbara have just left in a Dalek time machine, and it's just the Doctor and Vicky, or so they think, but then they hear some noises in the TARDIS and find a very nearly unconscious Stephen, who's escaped that unnamed world from the uh, mechanoids and such. Um, and and he's got that beard and everything, and so you, it's a neat little trivia that some of the broadcast versions of the Time Middler have the uh, the scenes where Vicky cuts uh, Stephen's hair, well, he shaves him. She, she cuts his hair, I think, in G- 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 Galaxy 4, but she shaves him. Mm-hmm. In the time middle, for some reason, those scenes are cut, like the earliest opening scene, but not always. They exist, thankfully. But uh, they, to introduce Stephen to new TARDIS life, they land in what turns out to be um, 
just before the Battle of Hastings, so uh, 1066 England. Uh, the watching their arrival is a medieval monk, and he's wondering. Well, he's saying, "I wonder, I wonder." He examines the TARDIS. He steps around, it touches, it, and he says, "I wonder, I wonder." And, and long story short, they discover certain things about this monk. You know that he's got a wristwatch, a modern wristwatch, and they they go into his rooms and such. And he has a gramophone, you know, you know, a, a modern day pl uh, record player and such. And it turns out, um, and the doctor and, he, and the doctor's captured. There's an episode, I think it's part two. Where, uh, might have been, yeah, I think it's part two. Yes, the cliffhanger part one is that Hartnell's captured by the monk. Part two, Hartnell's not on screen. Someone uh, double like throws food at the monk in part two, but um, uh, but in the end, the cliffhanger to part three is that they they see all these strange things, and then they're, they um, Stephen and Vicky are touring this um, this uh, cathedral or crypt or something, and uh, they find an altar. And there are these cables connected to the altar, and they say, oh, we can get inside, they open up, and it's a TARDIS. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Doctor Who fans back in May of 1965 to see a second TARDIS? Because, before then, Hartnell had been saying, I built this ship. Mm -hmm. So he made it sound like it was the only one around. Suddenly there's a second, and suddenly we realize, oh, shoot! There's another doctor out there, essentially. So the, the, what's the cause? It's a TARDIS. The monk's got a TARDIS, says Vicky. And that opened up, that's probably one of the biggest, like, cracks that open up in any, you know, the mystery of Doctor Who is, okay, there are more tar more than one TARDIS. The doctor comes to a race of people. We kind of knew that already, but it's confirmed. It's like, okay, now we have a face to the, to the name, the monk. Uh, he's not, any. this is before even they called them Time Lords, four years before. So, um, you've got that first story and the, and the, 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 Cliff, not cliffhanger, but um, the resolution is the doctor said a few things, you know, in part four he's captured the monk, he's turned tables and such. Um, he reveals that the, uh, the TARDIS is a Mark IV, his, the monk's TARDIS is Mark IV, we learn that, so there are marks. We don't know types yet, but there are marks. Um, he reveals that the monk, uh, it's ambiguous whether or not they knew each other, but he reveals that the monk comes, probably left Gallifrey about 50 years later. Um, for anyone that wants to know, with expanded books, you get a sense from, like, the role, um, something, a book called Byzantium, that the Doctor, by the time he gets to the unearthly child, has left, been away from Gallifrey for 60 years. So, meaning that the monk left Gallifrey maybe about 10, let's see, uh, 10 years before the events of an unearthly child. Maybe. That's minutia, but just that out there. Mm. So the monk's relatively new to the traveling, but, you know, 50 years after the Doctor left. Um... The monk is a very interesting character, played with a lot of warmth by Peter Butterworth. A lot of uh, you know, he's not a villain. I'm not, I would anyone. Some people said, "Oh, is the monk the master?" I, I think the war chief is the master. I do not think that the monk is the master. No, no. I, yeah. I, I half wish because that would give Hartnell a master story on screen. But but no, mm. not this time. Um, but the, the story just ends that the doc, the doctors able, the monk's plan is to thwart the Battle of Hastings and change history because he he likes to be a time meddler and change and do things in a different way. You get a sense there's almost a code of honor, or a code of ethics that he follows. And the story ends that the doctor thwarts things. The Battle of Hastings goes as planned, but the doctor is um, altered or um, um, what's the word um, vandalized. Yes. He sabotages the TARDIS, he, sab he, says yeah. he sabotages yeah. the monk's TARDIS so that it's as big on the inside as the outside, or even smaller. So the monk can, like, poke his head inside. because I'm marooned, marooned in 1066. Yeah. <laughs> and he, the doctor's left with a note saying, oh, you know, maybe one day I'll come back and get you, uh, come back and rescue you. And he mm -hmm. says, oh, what is he talking about? How, how can he stop a Mark IV, says the monk. But um, 
But the monk is just left kind of pouting with his head in his hands and all that stuff and at the very end. But then flash forward a few months, and we get the Dalek Master Plan, 12-part story, late 1965, early 1966. Um, notable for a few things, we get Gene Marsh as Sarah Taylor. Sarah, um, Stephen is still there. Vicky has left just recently. Starts with Katarina. Briefest companion, I think, in the history of Doctor Who. Um, I've even heard she her first film, the first scene she filmed was her death scene. I'm not sure how that's possible, but who knows? I don't think they were doing out of order stories then. Right. But um, but that comes from a, uh, a Maureen O'Brien's own, not Maureen O'Brien, um, the lady that played. Um, I can't think of her name, but the lady that played Katarina. That was her quote. Do you know her name? He's got a profile. Sure, I've looked it up. I've looked it up. Adrian so. Hill. Adrian Hill. Yeah. Adrian Hill said that. She That's said right, that yeah. um, up until only a few years ago, we didn't have any really footage of her because her story started in the Myth Makers mm-hmm. and that's gone. Um, and she's only in the earliest episodes of The Master Plan. It's a 12 part story. Like I said, for the longest time, only five and ten were around. But they found episode two in 2004, so we finally got an episode with her. But, mm-hmm. um, but long story short, it's a long, massive story. But in episodes eight through ten, so these are stories that are airing in the, like the last couple days of 65 and early 66. Uh, Butterworth returns as the monk. He's repaired his TARDIS, and this, he's he. The story ends. You know, it's kind of Masterplan's got almost a story of two halves. You have the first six episodes, and then you kind of have the Christmas special, the Feast of Stephen, which incidentally is probably the only yeah. single episode of Doctor Who that is almost one hundred percent certainly destroyed. Sadly, there are a lot of other episodes mm-hmm. that are missing, possibly destroyed, but there's a very good chance they could be existing somewhere. See, Feast of Stephen is unlikely. Because Master Plan was shipped overseas, most as far as I can tell, as an eleven-part story. They just cut that out. Highly mm-hmm. unlikely it still exists, which is too bad. But um, when the story episode um, episode eight of Master Plan opens up in the so-called volcano, the Daleks have been doing their thing, and it's an interesting plot and structure because it's more like the Daleks finding out that the terrarium core the Doctor's given them from episode six, I think, is fake. So the Doctor and the Daleks don't encounter each other. It's more like just parallel stories. Meanwhile, they, for whatever reason, they brought back the monks. Someone's chasing the Doctor's TARDIS. They land on the planet Tigus, a volcanic planet. This, I, I, Because the episode doesn't exist, we don't really know what quite what the doc, Matt Monk's TARDIS looks like. I, in reconstructions, we see it's probably a volcanic rock or something, I guess. But mm-hmm. it's the monk, and he sabotages the Doctor's TARDIS. And, uh, and uh, For anyone wondering why I'm saying it's just a rundown of who the monk is, so people might not know who the early monk is. And he, he just uses some... I, I'm assuming... Now that, granted, I've not seen the episode. No one has in 54 years. <laughs> but from the existing audio and probably some notes, it's, he uses some type of probably laser device to melt or lock out the Doctor's TARDIS, I think. And then the, mm-hmm. he, they, they counter each other, the Doctor and the Monk, and they're just laughing. The Monk's got like a rock. He's, oh, and the Doctor's like, oh, put that rock down, put that rock down. You know, I think from the sound yeah. of, again, I'm just going by imagination, from the soundscape, it sounds like the Monk's probably standing on, on, a, on a hill or something, or maybe a, a ledge, a ridge. And, the, and the, so they're talking below and on all that stuff, and, and they all start laughing. He's like, oh, you're going to be trapped here or something, and they all start laughing for some reason. Um, but the Doctor's able to fix his TARDIS using his, his ring, he catches the sunlight. He says, the sunlight has, met, has special properties on this planet, and my ring has special properties. He doesn't say what it is. The monk chases them to the TARDIS crew to ancient Egypt in the episode Golden Death, Master Plan Part 9. It's kind of a runaround. Um, if you're looking for good Hartnell Butterworth interaction, you're not really going to find it much in his second story because it's more like just, oh, hi, and then run around, I'm chasing you in ancient Egypt. I think Butterworth wears sunglasses in Part 9, from what I understand. And then the monk, the doctor captures the monk and ties him up as a mummy. Now, this is where I come along. First time I ever encountered the monk was watching um, Escape Switch 
in um, Master... Because I was just trying to catch up on Doctor Who episodes online and such, you know, Hartnell things, found them on Daily Motion or something. And I'm, I'm watching, I'm thinking, okay, what's this? Escape switch, okay. I'm aware of what the... what Daleks are, of course, so I'm... But I wasn't as aware, this is a while ago, but anyway, I'm watching it. And the episode opens with a mummy coming out of the sarcophagus and Stephen Taylor and Sarah Kingdom... Are lo- the, the TARDIS has landed inside... The TARDIS is there, so they've landed inside this, you know, tomb or something, and then they see this thing open up and mummified hand. Well, they, they unwrap the face and it's this guy. Now, I don't know who he is. Um, taking a step back to my first experience, I think, oh, it's a guy. He says, oh, thank heavens for that. And they unwrap him and they're saying, so there was a doctor who wrapped him? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Sir. And then, what, what, what a kind thing to do. And so as they're doing that, I, I can see him being unwrapped and I can see, okay, it's a monk. Okay. In ancient Egypt. It's Doctor Who, so I'm not surprised but I wonder how he got there. Huh. I wonder how he traveled, because I don't know much about the Master Plan this time. Okay, I can accept this. It's Doctor Who. Okay, this guy is a medieval monk. He knows who the Doctor is. Fine. He knows what the TARDIS is. Okay. He has. A, he wants the key to the TARDIS. Now, then I was. I watched the story, which is just other things. And the very end, jumping forward. Oh, he has a TARDIS. Oh. He's a Time Lord. That's different. Neat. So that was my little thing. But the, the, just to finish up the recap, part 10 is a neat little thing. You get a lot of nice interaction between Butterworth and Peter Purvis and Sarah and Gene Marsh. Kevin Stoney as Mavic Chen with the Daleks. I guess in part 9, Mavic Chen has already encountered the monk while he's trying to find the, the, the doctor. And he makes a deal with the Daleks. Oh, I'll bring the doctor to you. He turns it around saying, oh, I don't have the doctor or the Tranium Core, but I have hostages. Here are hostages. Oh, the doctor will come and get them. And so I'll capture. But it's always ambiguous with the monk. You don't. You you can never be certain he'll do a good thing. But he'll always say, mm-hmm. "Oh, I, I I did this to save your lives." You know, because they would have killed you. Now you're alive. Oh well, he could be telling the truth. Stephen doesn't trust him because he's met him twice before. Well, no, once before then. Sarah Kingdom doesn't exactly, but maybe he could be telling the truth. They're brought out. The doctor yes brings the training core. No interaction between the Doctor and the Butterworth, except for, oh, hello, Doctor, and the Doctor just ignores him. I'm giving you the core, but we'll meet at this time and place. The Doctor gives back the training core to the um, Mavic Chen. Everyone disperses, because the Egyptians come and try to attack the Daleks. Firepower everywhere. Monk escapes. The Doctor has, once again, sabotages Tartar. Still a couple things. He's changed it to look like a police box, so they make it look easy. Just take the, the prop from one point to another in the, on the soundstage, I suppose. And what you said, he sabotages so that whereas before it was the um, dimensional control, makes the TARDIS smaller for the monk, now it's the directional control. So it's it's often, being very specific, it's often thought, oh, the, ma- the monk is stranded on that planet. He's not stranded exactly. He he can leave. But he if he were to say, I'm going to go to Mars, he could end up on Mondas or whatever. It's just he's, he he says, uh, now I'm... Uh, now I'm uh, Forced to be as lost in time, wonder and lost in time and space as the doctor is. I'll get you for this, doctor. I'll get you one day, he says. And then that yeah. just closes the door. But they left it open. Said, do you think? Mm-hmm. Stephen says, oh, I hope they don't get the monk, the Daleks. Do you think we'll ever uh, see him again? Oh, yes, possibly, possibly. Uh, it'll take him some time to effect repairs. But um, so they make make that clear. He can fix it. But maybe he's had enough of us for a while. So who knows what they were thinking in terms of they want to bring him back at the time. Um, the last time the monk is mentioned anywhere in Doctor Who is the very next episode of The Abandoned Planet, episode 11. They just say, we need to go, maybe we can get the monk's TARDIS and uh, steal another directional unit, because they're using that unit to try to get back to Kimball. And the story Mm -hmm. goes from there. But the monk, in terms of television, has not been seen or mentioned word one since. It's amazing. 
It's amazing. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess the next time in any sort of media, it was the New Adventures, wasn't it? Where he was behind. There was. Um, I mean, I haven't read these since they came out, sure. but there was a sequence of stories where the monk was behind some alterations to history and things like that. And they gave him a name, didn't they? Was it Mortimer, I think? Mortimus, I think it is. Mortimus, that's it, yeah. Yeah. Mortimer's, I think, been used at times too. Mortimus, they gave him that. It, I'll, I'll say this. Yes, you're right. That was the what they call the five, it was a five-book alternative history cycle um, for the... Um, I think that was for the 30th anniversary of Dr. Speck in 1993, I think. Was it? Yes, I think so. Um... Which was had a few things had a, things like Blood Heat, where they go to an alternative version of what um, Earth, where the Silurians and Sea Devils had taken over. So, Doctor, the Silurians went went differently because the Doctor's killed and such. Um, not the Brigadier, but but you've got that. You've got the Dimension Riders, um, the Left-handed Hummingbird, maybe um, the um, Conundrum, I think, and then No Future. That was the Paul Cornell story, which revealed this the monk, and that this is a, a regenerated version of monk that uh, said not to look like Peter Butterworth anymore, but um, Robert Bertram. I think he's a. I don't know who who that is exactly, but I know the name. A British comedian, right. maybe. No, it's not a sure. name I'm familiar with. Sure, sure. I don't know who exactly, but I can tell you this: if you want to know the history of the monk and when they brought him back, the monk after mm. just a quick rundown. He's not brought back at all in the for the rest of the sixties. He's completely absent from the nineteen seventies. Peter Butterworth died on the fourth of January nineteen seventy nine, two weeks shy of, uh, excuse me, on uh, the sixteenth of January nineteen sixty nine, two weeks uh, nineteen seventy nine, two weeks shy of his sixtieth mm-hmm. birthday. So about sixty when he died. Um, so that if they'd wanted to ever bring back Peter Butterworth, that it ended there. He's so the monk is absent in the seventies completely. Nothing featuring the monk in any perform, um, not performing of course, but maybe spin off any comics. Anything like that. The Monk comes back in 1983 in a Fifth Doctor uh, comic strip called Four Dimensional Vistas, right. where the Monk is working with the Ice Warriors to do something with the Poles. I haven't, actually, that's one comic I haven't read. He's drawn as if he's probably looking like Peter Butterworth, but he might not be, mm-hmm. who knows. But that's all you had was Butterworth. He comes back in 89 in a Seventh Doctor comic called Fall That Tardis, where some. Galactic gangsters called the Sleaze Brothers, of all things, um, are trying to capture the Doctor, and maybe the Monk is working with him. I don't think, from what I've seen in that, I don't think the Monk necessarily, you see much of his face. He's got a hood up in that one. Maybe they were kind of thinking, maybe let's just make leave it a little ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Then, then you have the alternative history cycle 93. Uh, then you have... Um, he make an uh, kind of a uh, not exactly real version. Of Monk shows up in Craig Hinton's novel, um, The Quantum Archangel, Six Doctor Story in two thousand, came out in two, January of one, written two thousand. But it's not not really the Monk. Never says which version he is. It's more like kind of a created history mm-hmm. thing, yeah, for the from the perspective of the Master, I think. Um, no, Stuart Hyde. Um, let's see. There is a. The novel Invaders from Mars, excuse me, the audio Invaders from Mars makes a reference to a story that, uh, on so it's an Eighth Doctor story, it sounds when you're first telling it that it's a retelling of the Time Mother, it's not, but it's clearly meant to another story with the monk in medieval, you know, times, early times. Um, there is a short story called The Tramp Story, I think, where the Seventh Doctor has just had uh, an encounter with the monk, uh, but that's not that story. Um, the, um, Eighth Doctor short story, One Fateful Night, which is meant to be a prequel to Battlefield, 
He features a Time Lord calling himself Merlin. Uh, apparently, and I personally think this makes a little more better sense. Uh, apparently, the original intent was that that's the monk. So, you, if you want that, the monk is masquerading as one version of Merlin. And then, of course, the Big Finish audio started have started um, consistently using the monk just this decade in 2010, mm-hmm. starting in 2010 with the, the Book of Kells. So, it, there, it's only been in the last since '83, but only in the last nine years or so they've been consistently using the monk and perform Doctor Who meaning and all in the audios. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh no, no th- there's one other thing. There is a 12th Doctor um, short story called The Persistence of Memory that came out a couple years ago, which has 12th Doctor meeting the monk, a regenerated version of the monk, who survived the Time War. The missing audios have given us a story of how the monk survived the Time War, too. I think he also became a human or something like that and shut down his TARDIS. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's, more, that's I think, as, as complete a rundown as I can give of the monk's other appearances. Yeah, I think uh, as I read the new adventures sort of in the nineties when they came out, and I I've reread a few of them, but but none of the monk ones. But yeah, I think uh, Rufus Hound plays him in uh, the uh, in in the Big Finish audios, uh, and I think does it really really well. Um, it's uh, it's a great performance, and like you say, the Missy ones, the the episode where Missy has to team up with the monk. Um, the the dialogue between them is is fantastic. I think it's Jonathan Morris that wrote that. I could be wrong, um, but is just just a the, uh, the the dialogue's fantastic between them. Yeah, really, really good. Yes, I mean it's um, it's interesting when you mention Big Finish and their actors because the f- it is Rufus Hound now. When they brought him back in the early McGann audience, it was a guy named Graham uh, Graham Garden. Oh I think yeah, of course, yeah, he's one of the goodies. Yeah. Yes, um, they brought him back in the Book of Kells. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing with the Book of Kells because. <laughs> It's one of those few times. I think Big Finish knows their history, of course, very, very well. But that was the first time they were bringing back the monk in terms of performed media mm-hmm. ever. It's sh- and that it shows there because a lot of the dialogue, a lot of the dialogue of that story strongly implies that that it's the first time the Doctor is meeting the monk since Dalek Master Plan. Right. Because he says stuff like he, he goes at McGann goes out of his way in this. Well, at least the the Doctor goes out of his way to say okay kind of sync himself with where he is in the monk's timeline saying oh I don't recognize you okay so do you remember this remember this oh so it's after Egypt now that's all he says and the monk's TARDIS in that story and this bugged me being very honest because if you've got a long history where you don't have anything it's the easy thing to do in something like Doctor Who is to pick up where you left off mm-hmm. so the monk's TARDIS his directional control is still not working and I, I just kind of went, oh, you've had at that point I thought to myself, you've had you've had well, so that was 2010 so that's from 66. You've had 43, 44 years to, to, and, and who knows how many centuries the monk to fix that directional unit. So I thought, I, I get it, but I also felt they didn't have to do that. Just have the monk show up and maybe try to find something. But it was like, he's, he's trying to use the vellum of, um, of the monks of this, of this abbey, this monastery to, um, the, the gold plating or something like that to fix the directional unit. Very cool idea. Very out of date. When it comes to Doctor Who, though, in my opinion, the monk should have fixed that long ago. But um, but who knows? Maybe it's broken down again. But uh, yeah. but the reason why I mentioned that is because Big Finish's history with the monk is kind of interesting. Just because they have Graham Garden. He's in the, the New Eighth Doctor Adventures Series 4, Book of Kells. Lucy Miller leaves with him for a while, travels with him. It's kind of a surprise. Mm-hmm. But I think it's almost 10 years ago, so spoilers, sure. But yeah. it's spoiled by now, I can guarantee you. Um and then another Doctor companion, Tamsin or something, she, they switch. Lu- Lucy, you know, Lucy's already been traveling with the monk. The Doctor's Tamsin is a companion. 
they switch. Tamsin goes with the monk. Lucy comes back with the doctor, mm-hmm. and then and such. And it leads to this big event, which is the, the the death of Lucy Miller and to the audio to the death. And so the monks around, and it's very. They, they might they seem to try to rebrand him a little bit at the time. Graham Gardens thing. He doesn't seem to really be wearing. If they did their Photoshop, you know, photo shoots, quote unquote, it's him wearing a suit, a regular like three piece brown suit, which I have. I don't want to sound too penny this time, but I've always felt that what Big Finish do wonderful things. One thing where I felt that they, they, I wish they do a little bit more, and I guess it might be on their budget, is giving time, you know, new actors, new versions of Time Lords, maybe established Time Lords, a Time Lord looking costume. It has tended to be um, that they give them just regular looking clothes. You know, not regular, maybe, but human like. Siobhan Redmond's uh, Ronnie is wearing like a like a, a, a power suit or something. I thought, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Graham Garden's monk is wearing a three-piece suit. Alex McQueen's master's just wearing a suit, and that just seems to be his costume. I'm not... I think... McQu- I'll just say this. The reason why is because you've got audio, and so you have to have something in your head that makes you connect back to the original series. Alex McQueen is an excellent mo- a master, but he's, you know, with all, on- with all on- he's bald and he's clean-shaven. A bald, clean-shaven master looks very different from what, in my opinion, the master should look like. So I imagine to offset that, give him a time looking costume. Instead, they give him a, a regular two-piece suit. And I thought, doesn't he looks like Lex Luthor? I think he should look like the master. Yeah. But 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 I'm great. I mentioned that because Graham Gardner's version, they were maybe rebranding him as not looking like the monk anymore. But then. Um, more, in more recent times, they seem to have made Rufus Hound look more, in certain ways, more like a monk. But but the th- the thing that's interesting is, you've got Graham Garden. He shows up in the Eighth Doctor audios. There's this three-story thing. Big finishes, honestly, no joke, own version of the alternative history cycle, uh, where they brought, which is you know, the Locum Doctors thing. You know about that trio, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, where Seven goes back and is is dis- is time displaced, and he's in in the Third Doctor's era, the Sixth Doctor's in a Second Doctor. Era. Fifth Doctor in the First Doctor's era. Well, that reveals to the monk, and it's Graham Garden's monk. He's been affecting history because he wants revenge against the Doctor for the death of Tamsin. Again, spoilers in in to the death. That was a bloodbath. Almost everyone was killed. It's one of the most effective and you know horrifying stories Big Finish ever done. Back in 08 mm-hmm. or something. Oh nine. No, no, it was a ten. But anyway, and that's Graham Garden, and and you know he. And, and, I actually haven't heard that audio, but he, he he's it's it's it gets Stephen and Vicky and certainly Stephen Peter Purvis gets to have a third monk story anyway because he's working with Graham Garden stuff. But in the end, the Graham Garden's um, he's captured the Doctor thwarts him. And he, Peter Davison, so Davison gets to have a monk story out of order, even so. Um, Garden's monk is captured by these barbarians. Something he says, "Oh, I'll get I'll get you, Doctor." Well, then we start getting Rufus Hound. And this is where Big Finish have almost kind of got, revised their own history. And I don't think they're ever going to say what their intention is. And that is, with Graham Garden, they strongly implied it was the first time the Doctor's meeting up with the monk, even though there were mentions of in Invaders from Mars, mm-hmm. oh, I've I met the monk since whatever, whatever. And McGann is saying that. But then you start getting with Rufus Hound these, uh, these stories where um, you've got the second Doctor meeting up with the monk. You've got the third Doctor meeting up with the monk. The black hole and um, and the fourth uh, and the uh, blame game and then now the fourth doctor too. How to win planets and influence people. And those stories strongly imply that Hound is the monk of that era, kind of the sixties and seventies such. In other stories, Hound is showing up. Like he meets up with the eighth doctor again, and he, and the eighth doctor is blasting him, saying, "Oh, you you know for what happened in." Um, 
uh, in the, to the death. And I think Hound says, I don't know what you, maybe kind of being coy, saying, I don't know, maybe that might be something in my future, implying that Hound is out of order. But they've all, but they've right. also used yeah. Hound in a third Doctor on Adventures audio, the uh, Rise of the Tyrants, not Rise of the Humans, excuse me. I'm mixing it up with uh, the Tyrants of Logic. The Rise of the Humans, where Monk, uh, excuse me, Hound's Monk meets Joe, and he makes some comments about the Doctor having other companions, and he describes one being a northern dolly bird that strongly people think is Lucy Miller. So mm. Hound, some of, let's just say, some of uh, Big Finish's recent audio-only masters or ha- monks, whatever, are almost kind of omni-era. And it's Hound that's meeting up with Missy. So, is Hound second, third, fourth Doctor? Is he post-Graham Garden? Is he pre-Graham Garden? He certainly lasted to the Twelfth Doctor's era, but there's a Twelfth Doctor story that has someone who probably is not Hound's monk, because he says, I've regenerated. I guess what I'm saying is that it's so off-screen now that there's no linear element to it. He, I, Hound may... I, I think the best, the, the easiest idea is that Hound may be a multiple incarnation of the monk. Who knows? But yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of cool stuff mm-hmm. there. Yeah, and I suppose that makes more sense than uh, traditionally the the doctor on TV would always meet the master. They'd always meet each other in the same order, wouldn't they? Um, so it's as opposed to River Song, who he meets out of order. So, uh, and, and as they're all time travelers, it makes sense that he could meet the monk in a different order, um, and then forget having met him yes. and stuff like that. That's all. Uh, yeah, and and. and the two incarnations of the monk could have met each other uh, and, and filled each yes. other in as well, I suppose. Is the it's other a little like Drax and the trouble <laughs> with Drax, in, you know, you, you, that audio. It makes me wonder, because Drax is, again, spoilers, has all, practically all of his incarnations present in the one story. Not all are, have speaking parts, but that makes me wonder how, if, when I was left with that story, where Drax pretty, pretty much trounces the Doctor because he's got all this extra information. I'm left thinking to myself, how would they ever bring back Drax again effectively as, an, as someone the Doctor could handle? I don't know, because they got almost like laid out all the stops. Hey, these are all the Draxes. Interesting. Who knows? But, um, but the, but I think we've probably pretty much covered just about the entire history of the, of the monk. Yeah. Um, yeah. Up to the misshapen planet. The misshapen planet. So what is that all about? Well, um, how that? What it is? Let's say what it is. It is. It is very much in order. It is the third, a long-awaited third encounter with William Hartnell's Doctor and Peter Butterworth's Monk. It is... Um, I've, I've always wanted to say this to uh, someone else, so this will, I'll go through the details. It is, um, it is set at the very end of... Um, so you wonder, when is it set? It is set immediately before the Savages. So it's just before Peter, uh, um, Peter Purvis, uh, Stephen Taylor leaves. Peter Purvis, of course, is the actor who plays him. Um, and how this story came about, like I said, it's, it's meant to be the centenary of the, uh, of Peter Butter, celebrate Peter Butterworth's 100th uh, birthday, which was this year, on the 4th of uh, February, 1919, and we, we might as well, um, take a moment to talk about Peter Butterworth a moment. Um, mm-hmm. you know, when I was doing, trying to set up the final game, you've got, you, you know, you look around for voice actors who can do at least a voice of one of these original characters. You can find a few people that have done Doctor voices, some more than others, but you can find um, you find a lot of Tom Baker. You find a few John Pertwee's. You, of course, there's Chris Thompson as Patrick Trout, and I don't know if anybody else, too many people want to compete with him. They, of course they should, but uh, but not as many perhaps Trout and actor voices because there is a, a very professional quality. Um, very, very, mm-hmm. very, let's just at the least say accurate um, actor uh, up there. 
And of course, you have someone like John Colshaw that can do many of the voices. And and you have a lot of the actors that are still alive, of course, like David Tennant and well, from Tom Baker onwards. So you still have impersonators, but mm-hmm. let's just say for someone like me that can't afford to get all those men because <laughs> uh, doing it for free, you have a lot of people that can do those things. It, so it's very easy to find, let's say, someone like fairly easy to find someone like a good John, uh, at least an available John Pertwee voice actor. Now, some find someone good. I very much lucked out with Marshall Tankersley. It is extremely... Thank you. It's not terribly easy to find someone to do a a Roger Delgado voice. You can find people that are willing, um, but, um, but, you know, there aren't too many. You can find someone that can do it. I'd hate to say generic because it makes it sound like a a person's efforts are are weak. No. But let's just say... uh, um, an omni-master voice. You sound a little villainous and menacing and all that stuff. It's easy to find that. It's very hard to find a Roger Delgado master voice. You have to get the, all those qualities. You know, the very cultured quality. It's, it is, if you look for someone who's, who does a Peter Butterworth voice, there's no one. No one's doing Peter Butterworth because he, sadly, he's been dead for 40 years and he died just shy of 60, a few days shy of 60. He was about 60 years old when he died and, see this, and he, he, his centennial was on the 4th of February of this year. So he's born on the 4th of February, 1919. And Peter Butterworth, um, but he's, I think he's worth remembering because he wasn't simply just, well, there's nothing simple about just being, about being an actor, but if you say, oh, he was an actor, yes, he was. But he was also a, a bona fide um, a, a World War II hero. He was um, mm-hmm. a young man in 1940, and he was shot down in, I believe, over Austria. He was a, a fighter pilot and such. He was flying the planes. And he was shot down over Austria and behind enemy lines in 1940, and he was captured. He was found by farmers; they're very kind people. But sold, but uh, also sold, um, sold um, German soldiers and such. They found him, and he was put into a, a stalag, and he was imprisoned for some time, for a few years. Uh, he actually, and what makes him a hero is not just simply that he was in the prison, but he actually um, verifiably helped men escape. He staged several prison breaks, escaped himself. He was involved in the events behind the Great Escape. The film *The Great Escape*, and he, he he was, and not that film because he was he was cap he was he was cap he escaped, he helped to dig the tunnels and helped to distract the distract the guards with with he and other maybe singers and such and while they were doing the singing he was helping to dig the tunnels distracting the guards and then they all escaped and he, and he helped several men get to safety, but he was cap- recaptured by a Hitler youth, and he made the joke saying I will I'll never work with children again, <laughs> but he was recaptured and sent yeah. to the prison that is uh, featured in *The Great Escape*. He never himself. He made several other escapes. He was always recaptured, but he also helped several of the men escape from the Great Escape, I believe, in that prison. Uh, but not that film, but another, there was another film. I can't think of the name of it. I have to look it up and maybe put it in the notes or such. But he, there was a film made about his prison break where he escaped and made it out uh, before he was recaptured. And the story goes that he actually uh, auditioned for himself, but he was turned down because you don't look heroic enough. <laughs> But that's the thing. So someone like Peter Butterworth shows you that you don't have to look like a hero to be a hero. Peter Butterworth was a was a short, small kind of rogue, yeah. you know, stocky man, and you know, you had that you know square face and such with those green eyes. But he was a hero. He was a real hero. He saved men's lives. The film is The Wooden Horse, uh, which is a 1950 film. I was reading about this in the Complete History of Doctor Who earlier early today. Uh, yeah, and what he was involved in was the wooden horse escapes, where he was leaping over a vaulting horse while escapees tunneled underneath it. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a cool story, isn't it? Yeah, and it yes. goes on to say that uh, yeah, he didn't look convincingly heroic enough to uh, <laughs> to play the part in the movie. 
didn't, he didn't, he, well, it's funny, it's funny that he ends up playing the monk because the monk is not necessarily a hero, mm. but he's certainly not a villain. He, he's very ambiguous. He, he, Peter Wood simply looks like himself. Um, but he has that wonderfully distinctive, very jovial kind of grav- somewhat gravelly voice, but not a not a rough voice, kind of like a smooth gravelly think, voice. If that makes any sense, very warm and friendly voice. There's not a lot of footage footage of him, but there is something from him in the "This Is Your Life" in 1975, where he's there with his children and his wife, and, and he seems like a wonderfully lovely man. It occurred to me when the last time I, I went through um, the Daleks Master Plan, I did a podcast with Jason was how similar he is to Patrick Troughton yes. um, in terms of his voice, yes. his mannerisms. Yes. The way he plays the monk yes. could almost be a template for the second dog. I've, yeah, oh, yes. The first time that I ever saw the monk in the Dalek Master Plan, my immediate first reaction was, is that the second doctor? Oh, no, it's not. But maybe it's that Patrick Troughton. Maybe before, was he cast? Because you have a history of some actors like Peter Purvis, Nicholas Courtney, mm-hmm. um, Fima Adjaman and such, playing other characters maybe just before their other. So, of course, Nicholas Courtney was in the Master Plan as well. Yeah, Colin Baker I, and so on, yeah. And Colin Baker, yes. Um, and Peter Peter Capaldi. Mm-hmm. I've um, and Karen Gill and such. But you have a few. Yeah. Uh, gosh, she must have been only eighteen then. But but uh, in the fires of Pompeii. But you know, you think about it. I've I think it's a. If there, I think it's sad enough that Hartnell never got a third story with the monk. I think it's a tra- not a crime, maybe almost a crime that Troughton didn't get to meet Butterworth mm-hmm. Monk because that would have been a. Vi- it's because there, there's a strong contrast because Hartnell and Butterworth don't look alike at all. They don't act like at all. Put Troughton in your mind and Butterworth next to next to each other. How are they interacting? That is, I think that may be the single most um, intriguing character interaction that never was mm-hmm. in my mind. Troughton's doctor, Butterworth's monk. Um, and I think it's, it's a shame in a small way, although I think that Rufus Hound is great. Because they brought in Rufus Hound in so early in the canon, you know, the in season five, you know, such the black hole set before Fear from the Deep, they therefore kind of covered the ground of the second doctor meeting of a monk. But just, I, I'd hope that maybe they get around somewhere to doing a short story, maybe a performed story with Butterworth's monk. Maybe get someone that sounds like Butterworth. Well, now they probably can't do that because it's Jamie's there and, and all that. They, but they can. The only time now where Butterworth's monk can still meet with Troughton is, between, is the Ben and Polly era. And I have a story idea for that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I have a story idea for that. But, um, but yeah, yeah, Peter Butterworth, was, it seems like he was a, very, a genuinely wonderful man. And he was a war hero and a, and a wonderful father and husband and, um, and a human being. And he, um, he contributed a lot. Of course, people will know him for the carry-on films of the 1960s and into the 70s. And, uh, and he was in many of those films. So, so people, if, if they know who he is, they will know him probably for those films and such. And, um, and so he's a, he's a co- uh, comedic legend, uh, British cinema of the mid middle-later 20th century. I know that after he left the carry-on films, it was shortly before his death, and he intended to do more dramatic films. And he did a couple, but then he died, so I'm a heart attack. But in the case of Misshapen Planet, um, what got me interested in writing this story is actually not his centennial, because I wrote this story, or at least the, the beginnings of this story, about nine years ago. And that was not long after I first learned about The Monk. And coincidentally, I read, a at the time, a First Doctor novel called Bunker Soldiers. you know about that one? I'd have read it at the time, yeah. Yes. It's First Doctor Stephen and Dodo. And it's um, the battle, the, the siege of Kiev by the Mongols in uh, 1140, I believe it is. And, um, and, the, and, and it's a wonderfully dark, it's a dark story and very, you know, atmospheric. And it's, mo- it's what they call pseudo-historical, like 
Time Meddler. The Time Meddler is also notable, broke ground, and then it's the first pseudo-historical, which is this historical setting. There are no other aliens, except there is another. There is a little bit of alien influence, but maybe just one thing or something, but an alien influence in, a hist- in an historical event, the Battle of Hastings. Well, Bunker Soldiers is pretty much historical, but then there's like an alien buried in a crypt or something and, you know, that had had a crash landed in Kiev sometime before. Well, the monk's not in that story, but the doctor mentions the monk a couple times. And that got me thinking to myself that I've always found when you have serials and, the, like, life histories, and you have maybe the first time someone you meet someone, and then maybe the last time you meet someone. So it's like a little um, thread, a smaller thread in that big tapestry. I've always been fascinated with the idea of if, unless it's explicitly stated this is the first time we've met, this is the last time we met, or whatever. What happens if, if you don't have that explicit statement? Can you stretch the thread both ways, one way or the other, or both? Now, with the monk, you could stretch it earlier, but it would be probably before, um, before the TV series. Mm-hmm. But I always thought, well, you could, what happens, how, you know, could you stretch it, you could stretch it ahead, maybe. Now, this is, because this is a long before Big Finish, a while before Big Finish ever started using the monk. In fact, this was just when Big Finish had got started or something, a few years later. Um... It's in the time, no joke, when they still had a fax page on their original um, website saying, oh, well, if we're going to use the master, it's going to... The master for Doctors 5, 6, and 7 is Anthony Ainley. That tells you... So it was, you know, probably before... Well, was it then? Maybe a little bit later. But I just... I, just, I might be mixing up the dates a little bit. I remember that on their fax page for Big Finishes, original website or early website. But anyway, when I, after I read Bunker Soldiers, I thought of the timeline, the tapestry, the, the whole big, thick thread of the first Doctor's life. And I thought, would it be neat? Because you're already kind of on the edge of, towards the edge of the end of the first Doctor's era. How far ahead can you push something into that kind of bleak expanse of the third Doctor's third series, you know, season three? A lot of those episodes are missing. There's a bleak feel to that time. Most of the episodes are, well, not most, but it's almost a one-to-one ratio, Hartnell's last few stories. Mm. There's one that exists and there's one that's not. So let's say Massacre, so post-Master Plan. Talk about the monk. Postmaster plan. Massacre is gone, gone. There's nothing left. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have the Ark, which fully exists. Then you have the Celestial Toymaker, which is mostly gone, one episode. Then you have the Gunfighters, which exists. Savages, all missing. Little clips, but then. Um, the War Machines exist. Smugglers, missing. For the most part, the Tenth Plan exists. So it's almost a one-to-one right at the very end. But even so, right in this little era, between, like, Master Plan and the Savages... The final years, or the final stories of um, the Stephen Dodo era, essentially. That's what it is. With the exception of the massacre, for the most part. Very bleak, because a lot of those stories are missing. Darker stories, the massacre is a... I'm surprised, in being honest, it was made for television. Uh, from what, you know, from what the, it, its subject matter. Um, mm-hmm. The arc is, is quite um, eerie. Toymaker is very surreal. Gunfighters is, <laughs> is maybe a diamond in the rough. I don't know what you call it, but it's uh, it gets its, it's ahistorical. It's just, it gets its history very, uh, I think, off. But it's it's fun, I suppose. It's probably the one of the lower you know, regarded Hartnell stories, but it still has its charm. And then you get the Savages, which is, um, maybe bleakly hopeful again that bleak you know out in a quarry or something but it doesn't exist but the images in your mind are something there's there's a terminal feel to it 
So the mm. thought was, could I push the monk into this terminal era? Not quite the very end, but how far ahead could I push the monk into the first Doctor's era? That was the, the genesis of the story, which was inspired by the fact that that end, I've always thought of threes. I, I always like trilogies. I love trilogies. And if you get one story where a character appears and that's it, fine. If they appear a second time and it's, and it's clear that it's the only other time they can appear, that's okay. But if it's open-ended for a second, I feel compelled. Absolutely compelled. You've got to have a third story. So I, was, I, felt, I started to feel compelled. Um, mm. So I thought to myself, well, you know, it was a while. But then I, eventually around 2010, I thought to myself, well, I had written... Well, let's give me some context of why I wrote this. I had written by that point, I'd done Times Champion just a couple years earlier. I had written like a r early drafts for things like the, um, the Final Game. The Broken Sky, The Wounded Earth, and people want to know those are my fourth Doctor Mass stories following up to the final game. I want to get to those eventually. A couple things happened that shifted me. Um, and the big, and really the big seismic event was the um, the um, the failing health, the loss of Nicholas Courtney in The Wedding of Sarah Jane Smith. He, we know he was supposed to be in that story, but he had a stroke and wasn't able to film. Well, I'd already written the final, an, like a, a draft, like a little prose version of the final game, and I was having a lot of fun. And I and I was writing its follow-up, The Broken Sky, which is a fourth Doctor Mass story set immediately before Terror of the Zygons. When I learned that Nicholas Corney couldn't film The Wedding of Sarah Jane Smith, that shook me, but the Brigadier in that story is, he is in The Broken Sky, but he has a cameo appearance, so I was able to write it. The Brigadier has a major, then the, 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 it's a trilogy after the final game. The Broken Sky, The Wounded Earth, and a third story that I haven't really thought of yet. The Brigadier has a cameo appearance in The Broken Sky. I could get through it. I was still sad. The Brigadier is supposed to have... He is a major character in The Wounded Earth. I could not write the story at that time. Because I started to write it right when The Wedding of Sarah J. Smith was airing. And it, the, the emotions just flooded me. And I just could not write... I, to give you an idea, the story opens with the Brigadier looking out a, out a window. He's in Geneva. And he's thinking of, of, of his life and his career. And you have to understand that I was thinking myself at the time, not simply, oh, Nicholas Courtney can't film. I was thinking from, I was getting, I was hearing from friends that his health was very poor. And so I was thinking he might be dying soon. So I just couldn't, I had to put it away. And then I couldn't think of it, but I eventually got back to it and wrote it. But then I think couldn't think of a third story. So I thought, I've done all this unit stuff. I'm kind of not burnt out on it, but I, I, I've lived in the third and fourth Doctor's era. What more can I do? And I can't think of something close to trilogy. So, I thought of all those fun things to, I thought of other things to do, and then the thought came to me, write it, maybe I could do a Hartnell story. It was a, not a challenge, but I thought of my friend Craig Hinton, who, in, who was asked in an interview, would you ever write for William Hartnell? And he said, you know, I don't feel I'm a good enough actor, uh, not actor, writer to write such a story, because it's very prosaic and poetic in the dialogue and such, and very complex plots. So he, that was not an interview with me, but I thought to myself, I think that Craig could have. He can't write those stories anymore, because he's since passed away. But I'm going to take up the challenge and write one. So, I thought, well, what can I do? Ah, oh, let's do a third Dr. Monk story. So, I thought to myself, what can I do for this story? And, um, and, I th and so I, I started with, where will I set it? And I decided to set it um, as late as possible. My first thought was, could I set it maybe between the smugglers and the Tenth Planet? I immediately thought, no, because I thought maybe I would write a, a story for the Master there. Maybe a big event there. I initially thought, okay, I'll set it between the um, the savages and the war machines. But then I thought, I'd be robbing myself of the chance to have Steven meet the monk again, and I could have character conflict between him and Dodo. They already seem kind of a spiky relationship. So I decided to set it just before the savages. And, um, and, so, and so then I set about to writing it. So I had my set pieces. First Doctor, Steven, Dodo. 
the monk immediately before the savages. And then I thought, um, uh, no spoilers, but I had to come to the story. So I'll ask you this: How much did you feel comfortable with? With the brief or not? How much of the story would you like to know, at least as a setup? All right. Um, so I'll give you the setup and then the beginning. Um, the the um, the TARDIS intercepts a, t- a signal that's traveling through time through space, and then it, the Doctor finds out time, and so he realizes if someone's you know tr- sending s- signals through time, they could co- they could attract attention. So he follows the signal to uh, he just traces the signal and it lands him inside a a, a massive ship. Looks like a submarine or a flying machine or something. Massive, you know, large thing. And he and Stephen and Dodo are investigating, and the Doctor can hear the signal still. Stephen and Dodo can't. But he's they are able to find it inside this hidden room and inside the ship, and they get inside, and there's this uh, little device that's emitting the signal, but Stephen and Dodo can't hear it. The Doctor realizes, oh shoot, only I can hear this. It's a trap. But they're captured. And this isn't a spoiler because it's on the cover and stuff. They're mm-hmm. captured by the Vord from the Keys of Marinus. Because I thought to myself, why the Vord? And I thought to myself, I'd like to have a, a, a familiar alien race in this story. But I thought to myself, I have a, not a terribly granular or close understanding of the Hartnell years, but I know which monsters appear. And I thought, I don't really want to, again, pushing the thread back, take a monster that maybe w- debuts later on, in maybe with a later mm-hmm. Doctor or something. So what's har- I want something native to the Hartnell years. I thought, well, what do I have to work with? Cybermen, sure, but I don't necessarily want to tell that story. Daleks? I thought, yeah, I could have the Daleks. And I thought, oh, but it's made clear in the War Machines that Dodo never met the Daleks. So I can't use the Daleks. Plus, Dalek Master Plan kind of feels almost like it should be like a, 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 a good closure for the first Doctor, you know, in the Daleks. You know what I mean? So I thought, what can I use? So I looked at it and I thought, I, do I use the Zarvi? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, do I use the Minoptera? No, the Optera. Um, what, do I, what do I use? Because there are a lot of historical stories, so they're Earth-based things. That, and I looked back and thought, well, hey, you've got the Daleks. Uh, not the Daleks. You've got the Vord. At the time, Big Finish hadn't started to use the Vord yet, so it's very unknown. I didn't want to get into the history of explaining the Vord. I thought, let's just use the Vord. And so the Vord have captured the uh, the Doctor, and they say, we will take you to our advisor. Our advisor wishes to see you. Who's your advisor? Not their leader, their advisor. And the, their advisor's the monk. And, um, and, and the monk has certain special reasons why he wants the Doctor there. I don't think I'm giving away anything. And this, no, this won't be a spoiler. Uh, that the monk has ended up with the Vord to try to repair his directional units. We're coming off of the master plan. And so he can travel, but he not very well. But the big question is, why is the monk beyond that? The, the Vord clearly has some hold over the, the monk. Because well, he hasn't just fixed his circuitry and left. So what do the Vord want with the monk and the doctor? And there's a very specific reason why. And it's a very, um, it's, it, it ended up being much more connected to Doctor History than I, when I originally intended. But, uh, but, uh, yeah, I've, I, so that, but that was the original idea in 2010. It's been pretty, it's, unlike some of my other stories, like the final game, which is vastly different in its audio version from what the original story was. The Misshapen Planet has pretty much stayed the same, so I actually ended up, and it's ended up being one of my favorite stories to write. I just really enjoyed it. And, um, because it, it felt like it was a complete story. I rewrote it a little bit in 2017 for something called the Doctor Who Project, which is a—it's been running 20 years now—a Canadian um, 
online Doctor Who fan site mm. that produces original fiction on the basis of what if um, Doctor Who not ended in 1989. So they, they only use the television episodes up to Sylvester McCoy, and then they've made their own 8th, ninth, 10th. I think they're up to the 10th Doctor and such. It, w- it remained pretty much the same, except I added in a little bit of, um, of a connection to another story. I won't say what, but I will give you this tease. If you think of the title of The Misshapen Planet, it is... And if you th- you'll have to go through the titles of other stories of Doctor Who, but there is it is a parallel. It's a mirror image, a little bit. It's a distorted image. It's a misshapen version of another title that exists, that features similar concepts that are in my story. Now think of what I've said. You know, monsters, perhaps maybe the villains. Think of another story out there that might have something to do with it. I won't say what it is, but uh, there is a connection. Think of the titles. Um, and so th- yeah, so that's uh, that's. Uh, Basically, what the final excuse me, what the machine planet is, it, but it serves, mm. of course, uh, to, to what people's appetites. You will see, of course, you get to hear the first Doctor and the Monk again. So I got um, should I mention the actors? I got a, found a wonderful man. He's based in Texas, named uh, Pete Lutz, and therefore not just the name Peter, but you know he has a wonderful voice. And I cast him because he sent me auditions. Um, Gareth, I think Severn has worked with him, and and. Um, who's the sound designer for the final game, like I said, and he said, why don't you try this guy? And I said, oh, listen. And before he started speaking in the monk voice, mm-hmm. he was doing these little ad-lib uh, comedic things, and I thought, oh, yeah, if he can do the monk voice, that's him, because you've got, it's traditionally been that they, you cast a comedian, an established comedian as the monk. And he said, oh, this guy's kind of a comedian. Perfect. Uh, and, and he could do it, and he was able to do Peter Butler's voice, so it was wonderful. It's not just the style, but he got the voice. Um, the... Um, mm-hmm. The first Doctor is voiced by a guy named Owen McEwen. Seems like mine, except um, spelled a little differently. I think he's based in New Jersey, so I have American actors doing the lead. And he, he neither of these men are Whovians. Neither of these men have ever watched Doctor Who before. They're aware of it a little bit, but especially Owen. I don't think he'd ever seen it, but he's able to do the voice wonderfully. He captures Hartnell wonderfully. Um, the, uh, the uh, let's see, the scare Stephen Taylor is done by a guy no here again. And, so it's a largely American mm-hmm. cast this time around. Because it's a smaller cast, partly by coincidence, but partly just because whoever you get, it's. Whereas the final game has a mass in like a twenty people, this is maybe only like half a dozen people. It's a guy named Christopher Kovalenko. He lives uh, here in Utah with me. Uh, well, he's not a roommate or anything, but he just lives. He lives locally. Um, he does an excellent Stephen Taylor voice. I just met him casually, and we and I asked him what do you you know what do you like to do for fun? Oh, I'm doing audio adventures. He said that I like to, I want to do audio work. Well, I'm doing a story. Do you like Doctor Who? Yes. So he's able to do. He sounds almost just like Peter Purvis. And then Zodo is is voiced by uh, Zoe Jenkins. She in, she has a role in the final game. She plays um, Lieutenant Samantha Thompson, who is the it's named first time she gets a name. She's the character, the first female like the radio. Um, operator in Spearhead from Space. You see her character. So Zoe Jenkins does the voice of Dodo wonderfully well. My goodness, she has a range. Um, the voice of um, oh yeah, the the Vord, the Vord uh, leader. You have Yartek in the Keys of Marinus, uh, and Tarlac in the follow-up audio domain of the Vord that the Big Finish has done. This time, and they're they're implied to be brothers. Well, there's a third brother, Pardok. It's um. Domain of the Vord is like a thousand years after Key of Samarinus. It's probably another thousand or so years. Because Vord they established in Key of Samarinus, excuse me, mm-hmm. the Domain of the Vord, can live a long time, like thousands of years. They may be like an assimilating race, like like the Cybermen or such. Um, so Pardok is, is kind of the third brother, and he has a vendetta against Doctor. He's Overlord. 
I tried to add something to the Vord uh, history and continuity. So they, he is overlord. He is Pardok, overlord of the Vord Wanderers. The Vord have been scattered after the events of uh, Kiza Marinus and um, Domain of the Vord, and so they are very much a nomadic race now. Um, and and they have an extreme hatred against the Doctor. Um, so picture a, a Vord as they look on television, except except he's got a uh, because he's an overlord, um, he's got a uh, large kind of circular crystal on his head. So it's not like it's not the little stalk or maybe the, the little small like a spiky crystal, but a large like globe on his head. With and he can he has psychic power. Well, he, he can he can he can communicate with his Vord telepathically, and they, he can project psychic. Um, these Vord can project psychic um, attacks from their antennae. They attack Steven, They attack the Doctor and such. Um, but they still have knives. That's the funny thing. Very interesting. Low tech. They, no blasters. They've got knives um, for weapons. So they still blades and such. It's very cool. Um, so things that you'll get to see in this story. Um, you'll get to see that. Mm-hmm. You'll get to see, of course, uh, the first Doctor and the Monk interact again. Uh, I think it's not giving away to say it's the it's the final time. I just said it's the final time that those characters meet. So they get a prop. They actually get a proper goodbye. So you'll get to hear a proper. What happens when they have a proper goodbye? Um, you'll get to hear. How Steven reacts to the monk, which is what you probably would expect from television. You'll see how Dodo reacts to the monk. I'll ask you this. How do you think Dodo would react to someone like the monk? I don't know. Yeah? I can, Well, I will say this. Think of how, the, how Dodo dresses in the arc. You know, she's wearing that weird yeah. costume. <laughs> okay, she wears weird clothes. No, or at least she's very atypical clothes. She loves the monk. Cool. I think it's not. She loves the monk, and, and the monk really loves her. So they get along, kind of like a precursor. This was purposeful, a precursor to like the the monk, later monk and the gardens monk and and um, and yeah. Lisa Miller and such. So that's so you'll get to hear things. You get to hear stuff like that. Um, what's happened to the monk since Master Plan? Um, what's um. Oh, what was some oh. Well, you know, some interesting uh, hist- ancient history of things. Um, oh yeah, I forgot to say the Pardock is voiced by James P. Quick, who is now I think about another American. This is an almost totally American cast. Uh, I think he's out on the East Coast. I've known him for a while, so he does great stuff and he does a wonderful Pardock voice. And it's narrated by Jerry, again another American. It's almost exclusively American cast. Uh, Gary Kokich, who's based in California. He he's um, been a ballet dancer by uh, profession, and he has a wonderful voice. And if anyone ever wants paid work for him, I'm going to shout out right now: hire him. He would love to do it. He's willing to do things for free, but he would love to do things for for pay because he would love to have more work. So hire Gary Kokich. When you hear his voice, you'll be astounded. Um, and then there are a couple. Of, I won't say who they are, but you have a couple other um, cameo roles by Karen Thomas, and um, and uh, um, Kareem Cronfleet. Um, and Kareem will have a larger role in another upcoming story that I'm doing that, that you'll enjoy because Kareem has another wonderful voice but they're, they're British so there are a couple British actors but the predominancy this is an American cast doing excellent British accents um, but yeah that's, those are some things you'll hear in the, in the Misshapen Planet and uh, I really, uh, I'm really looking forward to telling, you about, uh, telling more about it and, and sharing that it won't be out this year because this year we're working on the final game but aside from Owen McEwen doing one more episode for part, it's a four part story I can say that and they have individual mm-hmm. titles that was an interesting thing. Do I give them... Because you have the Savages, you know, has starts episode one, two, three, four instead of individual titles. Yeah. That was a big thing for me. Like, do I give it you know, individual titles or do you do I make it like the Savages, episode one? And I said, let's... I decided, let's let the Savages still be the first one. Mm-hmm. So the titles are um, The Silent Signal, 
you can probably guess from what I've said what that is. The untrustworthy advisor, you can probably guess who that is. Yeah. Neat little thing, if you were to spell it out, it's the advisor with an O. That's the Latin spelling. Okay. <laughs> that was a cute little thing. The infernal machine. I'm not saying what that is. And then the misshapen planet. Again, I'm not going to say what what that is, except that, of course, it, the story takes place on a planet. Mm-hmm. Um, but what makes it misshapen? That's the question. Um, I will say what was the, the inspiration for the misshapen planet, which was when I started thinking of ideas, I thought, okay, I've got my set pieces. Vord, First Doctor Monk, Stephen Dodo, all that stuff. But what do I do with the story? Well, I read a, I happened to come across a science article about a planet that had been discovered, just been discovered. It's called Wasp-112b, which is a planet that is um, slowly has a decaying orbit. It's been discovered. It's a real planet that's been discovered. It's an exoplanet, they call it. Large, massive planet. It has a decaying orbit around its red giant sun. And as it's, it's decaying, it's, um, the, the, the gravity wall there, if its sun is getting so close, that it's doing a couple things. It, and one big thing it's doing is it's making the planet spin so quickly on its axis that it's actually stretching. So that it's not, it's not um, you know, a spheroid, it's more elliptoid. Wow. Now, it's, it doesn't look like an oblong or something, but it, it's, you, it, you, it's noticeably looking more elliptical in its shape mm. because it's just being compressed by its own gravity and by the gravity of the sun and its own spin, its own motion. Uh, and by the way, and, and uh, it's it's also so hot that it's pretty. Its surface is pretty much black. Um, so I thought, whoa, that's interesting. What may, and I thought I thought to myself, what cosmological event could have made that planet get so close to its sun that it's spinning so quickly that it's becoming misshapen? So there, so that's the cool thing. There is a real misshapen planet out there, Wasp One Twelve B, which um, I give. I will, it's not a spoiler. I'll give the title. I give, I call the um, I call it Conalipsis. Planet Conalypsis. I've named a planet. I <laughs> named a real planet. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it tells a story of what could make. So I, I, I took it from a real event. You know, it had just been mm. discovered in 2010, I think. So what makes that planet Conalypsis so misshapen? I'm not going to say what it is. You can probably guess from the other tiles, maybe what it, what's making it. But there you go. And so um, I hope it can be released sometime earlier next year. It is for the centennial, like I said, of Peter Butterworth. One neat thing is I can say that I approached, um, when I was looking for a Butterworth actor, I approached his son. I, I reached out to Tyler Butterworth, who has some websites, and, and he responded. Now, he, because of his schedule and such, he wasn't able to take part. But um, mm. and, the, so he, and I'm not going to say, oh, he gave his blessing to all this stuff. No, 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 but he was very pleasant. He, and he said, Chris, this is, I think this is a wonderful thing that you're, you're doing for my dad. Um, good, best wishes with it. So, so it would... Of course, it would have been nice. I, I, I didn't expect that he would they would take part, but of course, I didn't expect that he would even respond, because you never know. Mm-hmm. So he responded and he said that he thought it was a wonderful idea, because of schedule, not able to take part. But uh, but so I have not not let's just say that tacit you know not kind of approval from the son of the original actor saying this sounds like a wonderful idea, best wishes in making it. So uh, I, I'm going to take that as a nice little stamp of of happy approval, saying we've got a but we've had the Butterworth family. Uh, and he's the last one, sadly. He's his mother has since died, and his yeah. sister died long ago. So there were two children. I don't know how she died, but she died young, and so he's the last of that family. So I have the last of the Butterworth family saying, "Thank you for doing this kind thing for my father." Even more, he called. He said in the email, "Thank you for doing this for my dad." He didn't say father. You know, father okay. is. There's nothing wrong with saying father, but I always call my dad dad. Dad, mm. you just, something about that. You just realize, yeah, that's sweet. So there you are. Yeah. 
Ah, that's brilliant. Thank you. It's wonderful. That's really good. Yeah, because uh, I think I think it mentions in the complete history his son is an actor as well, isn't he? Yeah. Well, yes. He was. He was. These days, he is more. Uh, he has been an actor, and you could still say yes, but in the sense that he he is a presenter now. Um, he um, wasn't. He is still an actor in the sense that he does something in front of a camera, but he's not doing mm-hmm. performance acting anymore, as far as I know. Or at least he hasn't done in a while. He more. Of, he's more of a presenter for documentaries and such, which takes just as much right. much skill and just as much ability. But it's a, mm. a shift. He was an actor, was a performer actor. Now he's more of a presenter actor. Like, like the Sawala sisters. You have uh, Julia Sawala. She's an actress. Her sister Nadia yeah. Sawala is more of a. It's kind of in between she's on these talk shows but she's more mm. of a talk show presenter and such a presenter as such well peter but uh, tyler butterworth is more of a is is a documentary uh, creator and presenter now um and he 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 himself is 60 so this he he's the same age as his father was when he when he died so kind of a nice little mm-hmm. sy- synergy whatever that um symmetry maybe that that this is happening but uh, i just felt it was a I felt compelled to do it too, just like with with Roger Delgado. But perhaps also because Peter Butterworth, by no means, is he a forgotten actor. Not at all. He is he'll always remembered for his work. But he is um, perhaps less known now because it's so long ago, and the, and the character is not returned to perform to performance on screen. Doctor Who, you might not associate Peter Butterworth quite as much with the monk, but he deserves to be there because he was the first actor to play the character and the first one to be a renegade time lord other than Doctor. It's because of him and his character that we started to get all the other things in Doctor Who that we have now. So he opened the crack, he opened the door, and, and, and for his centennial, mm-hmm. and for his service and his good life, I think he deserves this, uh, maybe not last story, but this certainly one last story with William Hartnell's Doctor. They, they, they deserved a trilogy. Who knows why he never came back? Maybe because he was probably t- too busy, maybe being, the carry-on films had started by that point. They, I, I worked it out that if this story had been made, it would have been aired in May of 1966. By that point in time, he was, he was busy, so... Who knows? But but uh, he gets they get one. They, Hartnell and Butterworth get one more go together. Fantastic! I will best of luck with with that, and uh, can't wait to hear that next year. And look forward to the final game, episode two, in September. Yes, we're shooting for the first of September, um, and 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 it is being made right now. I've listened to the first um, scene or portion of scene, and you're mm-hmm. there as uh, Prime Minister uh, Jeremy Thorpe, uh, explaining himself and why the master's there and such, and it's. Uh, Maybe it's not what you expect, but it's something cool. Brilliant. Oh, well, thank you very much for joining me. It's always exciting to hear about your new project. Thank you. And uh, we'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you very much for listening at home. If you join me next week, one of the stars of the final game, Denise Sutton, will be with me, and we'll be talking about the Season 10 Blu-ray box set. Wonderful. <laughs> Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>